So there is a Yiddish proverb goes like this, man tracht und got locked. Translated, it says this, man plans and God laughs. Oh my, weren't we planning? All of us were planning our busy lives back in, I guess February here in Middle Tennessee, planning our vacations and planning our promotions at work or planning our retirement. For a lot of you, you were planning your graduation, you were planning for um, maybe some, some, some big thing at work, some big project you were working on. I personally had spent a year and a half preparing for the New Day fundraiser that we were doing, remember that? <laughs> Here, near, and clear on the other side of the earth. And eight days before the Big Giving Sunday, we all had to go home and shelter at home. We make our plans, but who knows what God has in store for us. And on the one hand, I know that for some of us, it came as such a shock. It came as a shock to me. It came as a shock to North Boulevard. But here we are now six weeks into it, and probably for a lot of us, we're over the shock. And so far, we haven't had a, a bunch of people die, not here in Middle Tennessee at least, uh, although we have had some. The economic shock has been hard on us. But what I suspect for a lot of us is we've made the transition now from the shock of what's going on to having to really ask the difficult questions of what am I going to do going forward? So there are financial questions, there are relationship questions, questions about our careers and about our jobs, uh, even questions about how we're going to spend our time. We were traveling down one road and all of a sudden, almost it seemed overnight, we were sent on another road that most of us had never seen before, traveling in dangerous places, up and down hills and on bumpy paths and suddenly having to figure out, okay, what do we do now that there's a new set of circumstances on top of us. Well, whether we want to do it or not, we're going to have to go down this road. And in fact, whether we want to do it or not, we're going to have to persevere. You see, sometimes we think of perseverance as a virtue, and in a sense it is a virtue. But the truth is, believers and unbelievers alike are going to have to persevere. All of us are going to have to put our heads down and get through this. You really don't have much of a choice, do you, except for death itself. But I want you to know there's a distinctly Christian way to persevere. In biblical days, the leading philosophies, at least of Paul's time, were the Epicureans and the Stoics. Real briefly, by the way, there's a payoff if you'll listen to this. Epicureans believed that the ultimate purpose of life was to find pleasure, get as much pleasure as you could out of life. When an Epicurean saw suffering or pain coming his or her way, they just ran from it because they didn't want to go through pain and suffering. Stoics. Stoics were as practical as potatoes. The Stoic said to himself or herself, I'll just put my head down. I'll just endure whatever happens. This is just a crazy world. We just have to put up with all the nonsense that happens in this world. And there was sort of a sense of duty to suffering for a Stoic. But a Christian has a very different sense of perseverance. I'm going to tell you what it is, but I want to read you a text that I think really encapsulates it. It's found in Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 3. Let me read it to you. And I want you to listen to how Christians practice perseverance. Paul's talking about hope in this text, and here's what he says. Hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been up. Oh, sorry, not only so, I've missed my whole text. Back up at verse 3. Sorry, I jumped down to verse 5. He says, not only so, talking about the glory of the hope, not only so, but we glory in our sufferings because we know, now watch the progression here. It starts with suffering. We know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit 
who has been given to us. So Paul actually talks about a progression of how Christians deal with suffering. First, there's suffering. This is something that happens to us. It's not something we typically pick. None of us pick the pandemic. None of us pick to go into an economic shutdown. We don't like the idea of being holed up in our houses. None of us pick that. That's suffering. That's just what happens to us. But suffering produces, Paul says, perseverance. And this idea of perseverance, it's an active idea for Paul. It's not merely putting up with pain or merely putting up with problems. Instead, it's the same that a weightlifter does when he or she pushes back up against them. That when we find ourselves facing hard times, as Christians, we use it to develop muscle. So you think about it. You can talk about, I don't, I don't remember, last time I bench pressed was so many years ago, I don't even know if they measured it in pounds back then. But I can remember bench pressing, thinking to myself, what an insane thing it was to have all these weights just on top of you and just push only to let them come back down. But you know, that's how you develop muscle. So a Christian looks at suffering as an opportunity to develop muscle. And I'm going to show you how in just a minute. And then Paul says, once you start to develop muscle, you get character. And the word that's translated character here in the New International Version, it is a word that means evidence or proof. That is, once you really start to flex those muscles, you start to realize who you really are. We actually discover ourselves by going through our suffering and persevering. And then finally he says, that results in hope. Now, a, a real quick illustration. If you work out with weights, if you continue to work out with weights, there comes a point where you have a lot of confidence or hope that you can face all sorts of testings or trials or whatever the issue might be because you already know that you have been cultivating strength. That's how our Christian looks at difficult times. Our form of perseverance comes when we grab hold of the blessing God has crafted for us in the middle of suffering. Let me say that again. In the middle of this pandemic, my brothers and sisters, there is some blessing that God has for you that you could not have gotten any other way. And so when you persevere as a believer in Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, you should be looking for the blessing God has in store for you, taking hold of the blessing, coming out on the other side a different person. I really think that probably soon we're going to be talking about a new normal in America. Maybe not, but I think we might. Let me say that for the follower of Jesus, we actually have a great opportunity now for a new normal. You see, I don't want to come out of this pandemic the same guy that I was when I went in. I don't want that for North Boulevard. Let's not have the same North Boulevard that we had going into the pandemic. Let's come out a renewed, a richer, more blessed North Boulevard. Let's come out as newer disciples of Jesus, as purified disciples, as strengthened disciples, as disciples who know how to grab the blessing God has put in front of us. Let's persevere knowing that on the other side of this, we come out holier, stronger, more faithful, more content, with more peace, love, and joy in our hearts. That's what we're aiming for. And that's Christian perseverance. So three areas. I want to apply this. First, Christian perseverance will give you a blessing in your relationship to your own self. I'm going to just start there for a second. Because I know that difficult times make us question who we really are. As I said uh, in some lesson not long ago, I don't remember where it was, you don't really know the flavor of a tea bag until you dip it in hot water. In the same sense, a lot of times we don't really know who we are until we face difficult situations. Some of you have had to wrestle with very 
old demons in this pandemic. I don't know what it is. Maybe you've been lonely and alone, and it's raised some of the most fundamental questions of life. Am I really worth being loved? Do I really matter? Does anybody care about me? And you know, this is the fundamental question that we ask. Um, I was thinking about this week, I was thinking about those of you who have little children, I was trying to remember what it was like to have little children. You know, the thing that they said, I think as much as anything else my two kids ever said to me was, Daddy, watch this. How many times have your kids said that to you? Watch this, watch this, look at me, look at me. From the very beginning, we're programmed to ask the question, do I really matter? And I think probably for some of you, those kinds of demons have come back. Do I really matter? Does anyone love me? For others of you, it may be guilt of past sins or things that you knew you did wrong, or maybe it is the despair of past failures. It could be a great anxiety about the future. What I want to say is that this is an opportunity for our perseverance to get it straight with ourselves, who we really are in the presence of God. Y'all know that one of the most popular songs in the last year or two has been a song by Hillsong. Don't worry, I'm not gonna sing it, cause I can't. <laughs> but Hillsong has come out with this song, who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me, who the son sets free is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me not against me. I am who you say I am. During this pandemic, this shelter at home, during all the emotions that I know you must be feeling right now, the tediosity, the boredom of it, how long is it going to last, all the demons that are coming up from your past, I want you to look straight in your own eye and say, I am exactly who God called me to be. I am saved. I'm chosen. I'm loved. I may not be everywhere I need to be. In fact, there's still growth for me. I'm not as holy as I know I want to be, but I know I'm saved and I'm safe in the arms of Jesus and God loves me. This is your chance to find that kind of contentment. You know, Paul talks about contentment, this same apostle Paul who wrote Romans in Philippians chapter 4, and he prefaces verses 11 and following, he talks about being content, but he prefaces it by saying, I've learned to be grateful. I pray, I lay my anxieties in front of God. He says, I dwell on the virtues of life. And then he says in verse 11, I have learned in any and all circumstances to be content. That's what we want to do. Take this pandemic, this opportunity, and learn who God says you are. I mean, you can go online, you can learn all kinds of things you can do for yourself. You can learn a language. Read a book you wanted to read. You can uh, make this a time of diet, diet although I'm, I'm suspicious that for a lot of us, we're going the other direction of a diet. But you can really work on yourself during this pandemic. But as a Christian, here's what I want you to do. I want you to know that you are who Jesus Christ says you are. I want you to know that God has chosen you, that you are loved, and I want you to be happy with that. Be content with that. Okay, second. This actually, the second point is the whole reason I'm preaching this sermon. Because several of you have talked to me over the last couple of weeks that you've had a real strain on your marriage. And now, let me say this, as I preach this, probably two-thirds of you are not married. But remember, whatever we say to marriages generally applies to all other relationships. And even if you're not married, and what I say doesn't apply to you, it is in everyone's best interest that our marriages are strong. 
So the second point of perseverance is persevering in our relationship with others. And I want to talk about marriage for a moment because what I've heard from several of you is this has been a real strain on your marriage. When we get, uh, find ourselves in difficult situations, what it does, it brings out sometimes the best in us, but it also brings out sometimes the worst in us. And typically when we get married, we tend to marry people who are not our color. So you know our women um, in the Cultivate Conference, but, but, but in the Journey program, they do a lot with the colors. They tell me I'm green, which is the, evidently the color that doesn't know anything about other colors. But what I know is that when you get married, you tend to marry someone who's not your color. I married a blue. And so what you realize is that you can go weeks and weeks and weeks without a problem because you're hardly seeing each other. And then all of a sudden, when you're sheltering at home, you're with each other nonstop. And suddenly you realize life can be really tough. So I know that some of you are really struggling right now. Um, and so I want, to give you, I want to give you a few ideas. This is just, I hope, biblical, but wisdom I've gained through the years. And I, 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 honestly, I think I'll put this online because I want you to remember this. I know that some of you are, you're really struggling right now. So let me say this. First thing I want to say is, let's persevere, let's get through this, but let's get through it and get a blessing out of it. You ought to get a blessing out of this for your family, your relationships, and for your marriage. You need to be asking the question, Lord, how can I get a blessing for my marriage on the other end of this pandemic? And I just want to give you a couple of real simple principles for when you find yourself arguing, because that's what's happening for a lot of you. I'll make it really easy. First, you find yourself about to argue or in the middle of an argument. Hey, write this down. This is really good. This is, someone's given this to me. It's not my stuff. This is really good. First, de-escalate the situation. When you find a war about to happen, de-escalate. Don't, so what you want to do is you want to defend yourself. You want to launch back. You want to go on the offense. You want to yell. You want to call names. That's what you want to do. The first thing to do is try to de-escalate the situation. And here are three ways you can de-escalate. First, listen. Listen to the other person. Try to hear them, even if they're accusing you. The Babylonian Bee is a satirical religion. It started out as a Christian paper. Now it kind of does a lot of politics and all. And they recently had, so all the articles of satire, but they had an article that showed a man sitting on the couch watching television, looked really lazy. And his wife was standing there, and the headline of the article said, man convinces wife that he will fix the leaky, pl uh, leaky plumbing in the next global pandemic. Well, for some of us, that's sort of what we're feeling. And she's standing there. You can tell she's angry with him. Get up and fix the plumbing. What he wants to do is argue back. This is the first break I've had in years. He wants to yell at her, why don't you ever this and that? I'm telling you, de-escalate, and you do it first by listening. Try to listen to what the other one's saying. You guys who are arguing, I'm talking to you. Listen to what your mate is saying and listen to their feelings. Second, one way that you can affirm your listening is you say back to them what you've heard them say. So if someone is accusing you of something, rather than defend yourself first, listen to them and then try to say it back. That way they know you heard them. And then third, show a little bit of grace. Show some empathy for the feelings. But remember, everybody's under a pressure cooker right now. We need people to, who care about our feelings. All of us need to know that somebody cares about my feelings. So my first thing is de-escalate the situation. My second thing, figure out what a win is. What is a win? So whenever you go into an argument, what's a win in this argument? What will a win look like? If, if a win for you is you got it off your chest onto your mate, that's not a win. That's actually a loss because that means now your mate has built a bigger wall between you and him or her. A real win occurs 
when we find a place that both of us become more like Jesus. Clarify what a win would look like. If you just want to be right, that's hardly a good win. A better win is being true. Being true is better than being right. Winning an argument is not important. What's important is that we become more like Jesus. Clarify what a win would look like when you go into an argument. And then the third thing I want to say is show one another extraordinary grace. These are tough times. I mean, we're, a lot of our marriages are really under strain and stress right now. Look, when God calls you to love others as you love yourself, it starts with your spouse. It's not just something for church. It's not just what you do when you come on Sunday. It's what you're supposed to do when you go home from church on Sunday. You think about the strongest marriages. I had the, the honor of doing a funeral. I want to talk about funerals. In fact, let me just pause and say this. By my count, we've had four members at North Boulevard die since the pandemic. And my heart is really heavy because we, we've not been able to have what I consider to be um, adequate memorial services, not during the shutdown and the shelter at home and no large crowds and so forth. And I just want to say, I think when we all get back together, let's, let's have some memorial services, even if it's one big memorial service, let's do something. We've lost some sweet, lovely people. And I feel terrible that, that, that we, the best we can do is a, a little tiny graveside. We need to be thinking about how we can do a memorial for our own people of the past. But I did one of the gravesides this past week and Virginia Willis, she and HB were married for 70 years, 70 years, if you can think about that. And you know how you do that? You do that because you learn how to love in difficult times. We're really being stretched and strained right now and we wanna learn how to love even in difficult times. It's easy to love when times are good. Let's learn to love in difficult times and we do that by showing grace to one another, extraordinary grace. Okay, my last point. Perseverance will also show itself in absolute trust of God. So Paul's talking about how this hope emerges. First, there's suffering. From suffering comes perseverance. Out of perseverance comes character, and out of character comes hope. So what we wanna do in the middle of this pandemic is make it a point, I'm gonna persevere by grabbing more and more trust from God. Listen, God has not let you down yet. The same God who was with America during the pandemic of 1918, the same God who was with America during the Second World War, the same God who has been with America all these years, He's still with us. He's with China too, by the way. He's with South Korea. He's with Tanzania. He's all over. The, that God is still God. He's still on his throne. He is still trustworthy. What I want to do is cultivate a richer, deeper sense of trust. And if you want a, one action step that will help you do that, one action step is found in our text, Romans 5. Here it is in verse 5, where he says, the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So if you want to gain trust, do this. I'm giving you a strategy for gaining trust in the middle of a pandemic. You with me? Do this. Holy Spirit, I mean just pray this all day long. Holy Spirit, teach me to trust God. Teach me to trust the source of all my blessings. And the Holy Spirit will give us the power for as humans, broken as we are, we really don't have the power. The reason it's hard for us to trust is because we're broken. God gives us the Holy Spirit to give us the power to trust God as we know we should. Ask the Holy Spirit.
Ask him for power. Well, last Easter, Anthony Walker sang the song, I Need Thee Every Hour. In the middle of the sermon, he sang that song. I have seen that song posted a hundred times. Twitter, Facebook, all over the place. Now, I just want to make sure you all know, um, I sang too last week. I hadn't seen that posted at all. Um, I'm not real sure how that happened. But in order to give you one more chance for posting, I want to sing you one other song. So uh, several of you have said, keep singing. Others of you are looking at me like I've lost my mind. Here's what I think I'm going to do. I don't know how long I'll do this. I'm not a good singer. I know that. You know that too. But I just want something that marks this time that says, you know what? It was a little different. Something we can remember. Because in 10 years, this is going to be so far behind us. We're not going to remember any of this. But Well, I shouldn't say that. We will remember it. But we're not going to feel the pain anymore. And I want us to look back on it with really sweet memories. I'd like for us to be able to say, you know, we're glad to be back together. But we had some sweet times back then. God was with us. And I guess singing just marks it for me as a little bit different. And I picked a song, uh, this song, 250 years old. I'm singing mostly English melodies because that's all I think my voice will do. I just want to sing one verse to you. But it's a verse that affirms again that God will give us hope, all the hope that we need. Here it goes. I'm going to try it. Sometimes I lose my confidence at this moment. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me ever to adore thee, may I still thy goodness prove, while the hope of endless glory fills my heart with joy and love. So, one little story. I know you can tell by looking at me, I've been a runner my whole life. That's kind of a joke, but actually I have. I've told you all this story, but back in 2008, I had a real serious problem of clinical depression, was diagnosed with clinical depression. I was looking for some way to overcome it, and I decided I was going to run a marathon. Actually, I decided to run the marathon in response to a dare someone gave me. They, I said, you know, I think I'll run a marathon, and someone grinned and said, that'll be the day. Well, that was all it took for me. So I had a couple of problems. First of all, I was about 30 pounds overweight. I had um, shin splints, and I had a really, really uh, difficult time with um, fallen arches. In fact, bad enough that I ended up having to go to the doctor afterwards. I ended up developing uh, peritonitis, which is a ruptured um, colon. I was in the hospital for a week with it, and I went through a tornado at the same time. I don't know if I've ever told you all that or not, but I did. But you know what? Every morning, because I didn't want to miss work and I was giving Saturdays to my kids, I didn't want to miss Saturday. Every morning I would get up somewhere between 2 o'clock and 3 o'clock in the morning, maybe 4 o'clock on some days, and I'd go for a run increasing it every week, you know, a little bit more, a little bit more. And I'm telling you, some of those mornings were the sweetest mornings of my life. I was preparing for one marathon. I was a week and a half away from the marathon when I developed the uh, peritonitis and ended up in the hospital and had to drop out. But that week and a half before, I decided to myself, 
that I was going to try to see if I could actually do a marathon. So I decided I was going to run 27 miles, and I decided that I was going to break four hours no matter what because this guy had laughed at me, a friend. He'd been at nice. I ran 27 miles in three hours and 53 minutes. Now, you think I'm bragging. I guess I am. But mostly what I want to tell you is exactly what Paul says. When I would be out in the middle of the night running, I would, by the way, I would put water bottles along the highway so that I could stop and get, the night before I'd laid them out so I didn't have to carry with me so I could pick them up as I would run down the highway. The sweetest memories, and sometimes I would be saying to myself, I don't know if I can put one more step in front of me, but just one more step, one more step. And finally, when I finished that thing, ever since, I never actually ran the marathon. I never did it. I never made it. I went into the hospital a week and a half before the marathon. But I still look back and I say to myself, I know, I know I can do it. By the way, I blew my back out a couple of years ago and my doctor said, it's the elliptical for you, for you from now on. And I just want to say, have you ever heard of an elliptical high, like a runner's high? The reason you haven't heard of one is because there's no such thing as one. It's not quite the same as running. But what I can tell you is now I have the confidence. I really do. I could do it. I could do it. In the same way, Paul writes in this text, when we go through trials, it cultivates perseverance. And when we get perseverance, we have character. When we have character, we get confidence. We know we can do it. Brothers and sisters, we're going to get through this and we're going to grab the blessing God has for us. It's going to strengthen our perseverance. And one day we're going to say, I wouldn't want to go through that again. But now I see what God was doing for us. Let's go back to our songs of praise.